You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Life of Pi. I was sitting in this coffee house, and this old man at the table next to me struck up a conversation. He said you had an amazing story. Let's see then, where to begin? I was born and raised in one of the most beautiful places on earth. It was a time filled with wonder that I'll always remember. But when my family chose to move our zoo halfway around the world, that is when my greatest journey began. listening to the trailer for Life of Pi, and the story is as follows. After deciding to sell their zoo in India and move to Canada, Santosh and Gita Patel board a freighter with their sons and a few remaining animals. Tragedy strikes when a terrible storm sinks the ship, leaving the Patel's teenage son, Pi, as the only human survivor. However, Pi is not alone. A fearsome Bengal tiger has also found refuge aboard the lifeboat. As days turn into weeks and weeks drag into months, Pi and the tiger must learn to trust each other if both are to survive. The film is starring Siraj Sharma, Ifran Khan, Rafe Spall, Tabu, Adil Hussein, and Gerard Depadu. It is directed by Ang Lee and written by David McGee. And here to join me today for this 2012 throwback retrospective podcast review, I have Dan Baer. Come back to the five and dime, Richard Parker, Richard Parker. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Okay, so Life of Pi, a film that had its premiere at the New York Film Festival 10 years ago. And then at the time, it was really a, I don't want to say revolutionary movie so much. Well, I guess maybe we can call it that, I suppose, because really prior to this, what what two big movies? It was Avatar and Hugo, I think, were the two big ones when it came to 3D. And every year, it seemed like we were getting a new movie in the Oscar race where a prestige filmmaker was making a film that was utilizing the technology in a way that audiences had never seen before. And this was a huge selling point for Life of Pi's uh, marketing. It also was considered a unfilmable uh, novel adaptation uh, based on the 2001 novel of the same name. Ang Lee, of course, is no stranger to Oscar success, having been a part for uh, a lot of his filmography, actually, Sense and Sensibility, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Brokeback Mountain, most famously. And here he was really going all out in an ambitious way uh, in a matter of that. Honestly, I feel like we hadn't really seen since Hulk to a certain extent, but I think this even took it up a notch beyond that, just in terms of visual effects and technology here. So what do we think about Life of Pi 10 years later? I'll tell you all right now, right off the bat. This was the first time I had rewatched this movie since I saw it in theaters back in 2012. So this felt like a whole new experience for me outside of the fact that I watched it 
at home versus in a theater the first time in 3D. So curious to know if you guys had that experience as well. Uh, let's start off with Dan Baer. Dan, what did you think of Life of Pi? So I also have not seen this since seeing it in 2012. And if I'm being honest, I don't think I have even given it one second's worth of thought since the end of this 2012 awards season. So I was a little shocked by how well it holds up. I think that in my mind, this had always been like a default uh, Oscar nominee and like kind of default winner even in the categories it won. Watching it this time, it, it absolutely deserved most if not all of of what it got. Um, the visual effects hold up spectacularly well for the most part. I think there are some scene transitions and some things that just look weird if you're not watching it in 3D. Like they were very specifically designed for to be seen in 3D and thus look really weird without. But other than that, visual effects are amazing. Ang Lee's direction, it just, this thing moves so well. It did not feel like it was over two hours long at all. I was so impressed with how well it moves and how engaged I was throughout all of it even though it, there was literally nothing in it that I didn't remember from seeing it <laughs> in 2012. But I think that's also a testament to the power of the images that he was able to get. It, it, this movie looks just beautiful. God bless Claudia Miranda and the visual effects team. It's really, really good movie. And I, I kind of don't, like the ending but to be fair i think it's an ending that just works better on the page coming near the end of a novel than it does coming at the end of a film where it's much more um we're much more subjectively put into someone's viewpoint i think it, it's harder for us to deny what we see on screen than what we like read in a book. So that ending where it's like, well, did you prefer the story about animals killing animals or the story about humans killing humans? When we didn't see the second story, it, it comes off as a little disingenuous. But that said, I think they do about as well with it as they could without changing it. And you kind of can't change the ending because it's the whole point of the book. But yeah, I was really impressed with how well this held up. All right, great. Let's hear next from Josh Parham. Josh, what did you think of Life of Pi? I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. Well, similar to Dan, this is also a movie that I do not think I have seen since it came out in 2012 and have not really thought about it all. And really, that's because when I first saw it, I really wasn't 
the biggest fan of it. I thought it was okay, but it really wasn't anything that I found myself particularly engaged with. So it's partly the reason why I haven't touched it in the decade since it came out. But I thought that this would be a good opportunity to revisit it with a fresh perspective. And I, I, I got to say that it still really didn't work for me all that much. Um, I did not have the reaction that Dad did of, of falling in love with the movie. I do agree that visually, yeah, it is stunning. And I think that Ang Lee is a great craftsman when it comes to filmmaking. And I think that he showcases that very well. There are some good performances here. I do think that uh, Sura Sharma carries the movie quite well. I really was taken with Irfan Khan in in this movie. I think that he really gives just such a warm and endearing performance. But I actually do think the movie has some pacing issues once we get onto that boat. And I think you mentioning, Dan, the kind of issues with adapting this book and how some things work better as a novel as opposed to a film. I think when we are on that boat, that's when it really shows for me. And I think that the visualization that they do go for to put us into this headspace is a little clunky and it doesn't really flow all that well for me. And I get the larger metaphors that they're going for. And some of them are very intriguing, but I think in execution, I found it to be kind of flat and really kept me at a distance of in terms of fully investing myself in this story. So it's not a movie that I hate, but I'm sort of very in the middle on it because I, there are things I appreciate about it, but I think the execution left a lot to be desired for me at the same time. Josh Parm, you know that there's multiple reasons why I have you on this show, right? Uh, sure, whatever you say. <laughs> well, one of them specifically <laughs> is I love when this happens between us. We have polar exact opposite reactions. Wow. And I feel like this happens with you and I frequently. Hmm. I think that the first act of this movie is incredibly clunky. And when we get to the boat with Richard Parker, that's when the movie settles and becomes riveting and actually engages me as a viewer. Interesting. Yeah, that is not my response to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love how we always end up here. It's it's funny to me. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of like my big takeaway here is that Clunky first act, good middle, and then with the end, I too remembered the ending on my first viewing being underwhelmed by it, and I think a large reason for that was because it was not an ending that I was expecting, and it gave me, as you said, Josh, some intriguing things to think about after it was over, but I also kind of feel like I too, like Dan, just didn't really think about it after it was over. <laughs> I just kind of locked it away, followed it through Oscar season, and that was that. This time around, though, it really did have a more profound impact on me than I was expecting. It kind of snuck up on me, actually. And I found the central message of the movie, because I don't because I don't feel that the movie actually comes together until we get to that hospital bed and he is telling the other version of the story. That's when everything like fully comes together for me. And then finally, as a story, I realized, okay, now I know why this story needed to be told. I now know why this book needed to be adapted. I now know why this had such an impact on people the year it came out. Yes, I agree. 
technical wizardry. It did feel like a placeholder in many ways. But there were still people who genuinely loved this movie. So I went from being all right on it to it's not my favorite film of the year. And I don't think it's in my top 10 of that year or anything like that. But I do think it's one of the better movies of that year now. Yeah, Yeah. agreed. See, for me, the reason why I think I did find the first act more engaging to me is because that's when I really found myself connecting with the ideas of religion and faith that it was bringing up. And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not a particularly religious person. That is not something that is a cornerstone in my life, but I'm interested in the ideas that it does bring up and and that commentary on the world, especially if you can approach it in an interesting way. And I think that the way this movie starts and the way that it introduces the pie character to the notion of all these religions and what it means to have to be a person who has faith and how that reflects back into your own life. I, I found all of those discussions really fascinating and intellectually stimulating on a level that kept me engaged and that does continue when it's on the boat by himself but i think that's also when the narrative gets a little messy at that point and you're dealing with more of the overt metaphor that i don't really think they set up all that well with the other characters and i just i just felt like it kind of lost the the focus a little bit and it went into this story that i think if you are reading it on the page from this character's perspective is just a lot more impactful than just being removed and watching it just happen all on screen. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. See, I think for me... I recognize that the philosophical and theological elements of the story are all present. They're there for you to chew on. But I'm much more interested in the survival element of this story, even with the fantastical elements thrown in that clearly you watch and you say, "Okay, well, this didn't really happen. But then when he tells the story at the end of a version that makes more sense, it recontextualizes the movie and actually makes me think back on it in a more interesting sort of way where I actually do envision that other version. Now, granted, the movie blatantly tells us at the end, hey, which version do you prefer? And he finds the insurance report that says that, you know, they chose the uh, story with the adult Bengal tiger. So clearly that's the story that the movie prefers. And that's the story that the journalist prefers. And that's the story I guess we, the audience, are also supposed to prefer. But I think regardless of which one you prefer, forget about all of that. It's more about the adversity that he faces and the struggles he goes through and how he comes out the other side, not just uh, using faith, but also to just sheer strength, resilience and resource. I mean, 
I found it to be quite inspiring, even though it's not based on a true story. It, you know, probably obviously, you know, didn't happen. And you can watch other survival movies like things like All is Lost, for example, for, you know, another example of somebody trapped at sea. But there was something that was still very engaging about how the movie slowed down to really dial into uh, these microscopic problems, I'll say, that he, uh, Pi, had to go through here. And meanwhile, for me, the thing that took me throughout all this was not the religion, nor was it the survival story, even though I found that more compelling than the religion stuff. But for me, it was just the pure visual storytelling that we were getting. (laughs) See, I agree with you, Dan, in the sense of, like, I to remember being absolutely gobsmacked by the cinematography and the visual effects and how they all work together in this movie, especially in the theater. But this time I got to admit watching it at home, I too had that reaction where certain shots I was like, Oh, I can see how that looked good 10 years ago, but not today. (laughs) Well, and it's not even that it's, I can see how it looked good in 3d. That's what I mean. Yeah. Not in 3d. mm. There's like one scene in particular, like where he's with his dad at the pool. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I just remember like his dad, like reaches in the water and it's like his hand is like directly coming at the lens and like little things like that. And also too, like when he has the conversation with the uh, journalist in his, uh, his home, the lighting in those scenes to me just feels so flat. And I can, I understand why it's shot the way that it's shot because in a 3d environment, you know, you need everything to be a little bit, uh, brighter. You can't have everything be uh, super dark and with heavy shadows. So I understand from that side of things, but it's not until, pie gets on the water like basically from when the ship wreck actually happens during the storm that the film's visual elements to me just like skyrocket oh you know what i, I take that back i did like the opening uh credit sequence with the zoo those were some pretty shots too yeah i also really like claudia miranda especially plays a lot with reflections on the water but how much of that is visual effects well i mean Okay, so we're gonna have that conversation like, right now. Oh, 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 you know what? I wasn't prepared to have it right now, but it did just come up. So that's why I said bless Claudio Miranda and the visual effects team because okay. it, it who who can say? Um, I assume that when the visual effects was everything that was in the frame that Miranda had something to do with it at least in terms of lighting or something so i'm willing to give him partial credit but still but yeah i thought there was a lot of fun that the movie was having with that at a lot of different points that worked even without the 3d and i think that there's a sort of grounded colorful beauty to the scenes in india but it, like you were saying, it doesn't really come alive, the movie and the colors and the way everything looks, until he is alone on that boat when it's just him and the natural world. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full-length review for Life of Pi, part of our 2012 retrospective here on the Next Best Picture podcast. 
In order to get the full-length review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Pictures Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You've been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 